Good morning, church. Um, a few months ago at um, Wednesday church, Wednesday evening church, you know, I shared with uh, a lot of y'all about, I had heard this um, message about, you know, we needed to quit standing on the problem and start standing on the promise. Um, I guess over the past years, um, there's some stuff been going on with me, and uh, on my last visit to my doctor, um, she said that dreaded word that none of us want to hear, cancer. Um, because of the symptoms that I was having, my doctor was concerned that I may have cancer in my uterus. Two weeks ago, I had a biopsy, and Friday I got my results, and my test was negative. Now, I want to tell you something else. I have to admit, when I heard the word cancer, yes, it concerned me. And, and for a minute there, I was like, okay, who do I call? Who do I call? Who do I call first? And I never got around to calling anyone. And during my quiet time, I was talking to God, and um, I said, Lord, I can pray. And my prayer consisted of this. I did not ask him to heal me. I didn't ask him to take anything away. My prayer consisted of, Lord, I believe. Lord, I believe that there is no cancer. And I believe it because I believe who you are. And that was my entire prayer before my biopsy, just speaking out. I believe. I believe what your word says regarding your promises, um, regarding health and healing. So, Ms. Connie, I want to tell you something. I believe. I believe for a good report. Church, do we all believe that? Can we have a really loud yes, amen? Okay, thank you. That's all. Amen. You are blessed. And Wanda. Where's Wanda? I don't see her. Well, Wanda was good as well. So. Hmm? Oh, you were hiding behind that big thing called Steve. And it is well with your soul. Yes, ma'am. I'll tell you what, you know, it's kind of where we're going to go today. Things are happening, and uh, our reality has changed. And, you know, usually fear comes down on stuff like that. And so we, we're, we've been addressing that, and we'll continue to address what God is doing. Because God is not uh, hanging out, oh, I don't know what to do. He's already doing it. Um, you know, in this, turn with me, if you would, real quick, to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I'll show you a principle in the Bible. There'll be several of those today. But we're, we're in a, a new era. We call it chronos in the Greek. It's a 40-year period. Probably, and I, you know, I emphasize probably because I'm not the one that makes these decisions, but we're probably the end-time generation. Probably are. A lot of evidence to that. 
And um, as we close in on that, the scripture we're going to read will become more and more true and focused on. Let's just read that scripture. Chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians, verse 11. And he's talking about what, you know, he's talking about Moses and crossing the wilderness and all that sort of stuff. He says, verse 11, all these things happened to them as examples. And they were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. What a scripture. So all the things that went on with Moses, and he really, in other places, Romans 15, there's other places where Paul makes this same point. All the stuff that's written in the Bible, all the things that those people went through, they were written down for our admonition. They are examples to us. All these things that have happened throughout time begins to come cascading down to our generation. If we are true to the end thing, it has been happening like this ever since the church started. And it gets more and more intense. So there's lots of examples in the Bible, types we'll call them, uh, that will apply to us. All of them happen to us. Uh, Give you uh, some examples. The whole uh, the whole promised land teaching. Uh, well, they lived that, but the lessons of that apply to us now, especially now, in the spiritual realm. So there's not physical people in a, in a physical land that are enemies of God, and our enemies, but there are spiritual things that do the same thing, and we're to fight those. And we can take our lessons from what those guys did in the physical. That's one motif that goes on nowadays. There's other ones that, uh, just like uh, in that time, in the promised land thing, uh, all the way through the Bible, there's always been this two-generation thing. Always. God takes two generations to do something. Uh, one of those is David and Solomon. It took David to get the vision of, the, of, a, of a house for God, but it took Solomon to build it. Uh, we're in that thing as well. That was written for us. We even defeat that. Two generations, they continue to happen. The promised land took that. We're seeing that. We even defined that last year at, at Lake City. There takes a rod generation or an older generation, uh, signified by Joshua and Caleb, and a sword generation, those that are younger, that will do the majority of the fighting, but they need the wisdom of the older ones to, to be successful. So we need each other to, to take the land. That's another thing that's coming down on us. The whole bride and bridegroom thing. That for sure will happen at the end. And we have many examples of that. David was a prototype of that. You want to see what the bridegroom looks like? Look at David. You want to see what his wife looks like? Look at his wives. The ones that get the more ink in the Bible. Bathsheba. Uh, Abigail. And who's the third one? Michael. So these things all come together, and there's more. And they come down, and they, they have influence, and they show you stuff on this generation. And we're living in one of those, even as we speak, we're living one, another one has popped up that never really saw it coming. Uh, and I want you to turn to it, Hebrews 12. We can thank our good brother Al Houghton for this one. By the way, he'll be here in two weeks again to finish up well mostly finish up what he's going to do this year. And Sue Hart will be here next Sunday and for the week after that. If you want ministry with Sue Hart,
please see me. I'm starting to set up the calendar for her uh, three or four days here. We've already got a couple. If you want to have some time with Sue, now is the time to tell me. And I'll set you up. Hebrews 12. This is one of those end time things. Now this one for sure is a, is a result of a prophecy in the Old Testament. Out of the book of Haggai. Haggai 2. You can read it later. And Haggai 2, it refers to what is being written about here in Hebrews. So Haggai was written, I want to take a wild guess, about five or 600 B.C. So five or 600 years later, it's being written about again in this book, the book of Hebrews. And another 2,000 years later, it's actually coming to pass. Prophecy is amazing. So we see it in Hebrews 12, verse 25. See that you do not refuse him, God, who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he has promised, saying yet once more, I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace. Boy, you ought to undermine that because you can't do this without grace. The power of God working in you. Grace. Let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear for our God is a consuming power. So the thing that's going on now that was prophesied back in Haggai was shaking he shook the earth once, and he will shake it again. Now, the shaking that he did the first time wasn't in Haggai's time. It was in Moses' time. The shaking that went on was when the children of Israel came out of the promised land, and they went to Mount Sinai. Now, y'all seen the movie, The Ten Commandments. And when they went to that mountain to receive the Ten Commandments, God shook the mountain. He asked the people, would you like to be my special people and have a covenant with me? They said yes. So Moses goes to the mountain. The whole thing begins to shake. That was the first shaking. Now, we're coming toward the second shaking. Now, it is to show you what can be shaken and what cannot be shaken. All I know is God has begun to lead me through this step by step. And that is a biblical pattern. God does things step by step. He gives a line here. Later he gives another line. And then another line. It's precept upon precept upon precept. Line upon line. So gradually he leads you into something to show you what he's doing. Now when you start out, you don't know hardly anything. And so, you know, it's easy to, to guess or to postulate, I don't like that word, what it all means, and usually you're wrong. But eventually, if you hang in there, God's going to show you what he's doing. And you have to make some course corrections and say, oh, yeah, 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 that makes more sense than what I had been thinking. All right? So when he first began to talk about this, it was when my whole world went upside down. And my, the thing which, like Job said, that I so greatly feared, and which I had dreaded came upon me. And all of a sudden, I'm asking the question after he's seeing he's going to shake everything that can be shaken. 
the question was natural for me. Well, can I be shaken? Because let me tell you how I feel right this minute, you know. Not good. Afraid. That's a good word. Fear. Big time fear that you cannot shake it. That'll interrupt your night. That'll blow your mind. That may take you back to the beginning of your life. You know, like when you were a little kid. That sort of shaking. And so the question was just being begged for. When this time comes, what's it going to do to me? And am I one of the things that's going to get shaken? It was a, don't you think that's a natural question? And then I find this little interesting tidbit in verse 21. That when it happened the first time with the leader of it all, look what he says. So terrifying was the sight, verse 21, said Moses, that I am exceedingly afraid and trembling or shaking. Oh, yay. Here we are. And yet, that wasn't the end of the story. That was just a, a point in time, you know, where that's where it was for me at the moment. And then here comes Al. Now, Here's the way you do the Bible, folks, especially when you walk into the prophetic world, which God is a God of foreseeing the future. He will, he will speak to things that are not. He always does this. What you must do is let the Bible define the Bible. Okay? That's what you need to do. Whatever it is that you think or you believe it's headed toward, find that in the Bible. Now, I thought I found it in verse 21. <laughs> you know what I mean? But here's another principle of the Bible. It needs to be established in the mouth of two or three witnesses. You'll find it not one time, but several times. That's how you know you're safe. He's got you covered in his, in his word. All right? Let the word lead you. He, the psalmist said it this way. Your word is a lamp into my path. And a light for my feet. So when I begin to walk with God, I can find places to stand. Have you ever crossed a stream or something like that that's running too hard? What do you look for? Places of safety where you can put your foot down. Okay? The word of the Lord is that for you. All right. So the lamp of the Lord is his word. Uh, then here comes Al, and he, he adds something here that I had not seen, and I think this really helps us all as to where we're going. Look down in verse 18. Let's test this theory about Moses. Is he our example? When the times of shaking, the second shaking comes, do we look to Moses as to how we conduct ourselves? Verse 18. It says, you have not come to the mountain that may be touched. And that's Mount Sinai. And that burned with fire. And to blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, so that those who heard it begged that the words should not be spoken to them any more, for they could not endure what was commanded. And if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, "I am exceedingly afraid and trembling." That's what happened then. He said, "But you have not come to that." That's comforting. This is not the example. Verse 22. But you have come, and here's where we want to go. Where have we come? 
you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, the judge of all, who are registered in heaven. You're coming to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just man made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of spring of death speaks better things than that of Abel. So that kind of shifts the whole focus. What are we coming to? Where's our example? Well, don't look at don't look at Mount Sinai as we're not going to repeat that. All right, we're not going to see a physical mountain on fire, shaking, boys coming out, boom, 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 everybody's freaking out. It's not going to be like that. And so, if that's the truth, it's implying that we don't have to look at Moses' reaction as the reaction that we should be looking for in ourselves during the second shaking. He was exceedingly afraid and trembling, which signifies he is also shaking. What should we look for? Al found it. Thank God. Look at Acts 2. We're looking to the church. We're looking to a, a heavenly city called Jerusalem, which Revelation says is the bride. We're looking for something different than what we have seen. In Acts 2, we actually see what he was talking about and the example to whom we should look. We're looking here in Acts 2 to the beginning of the church. If we're supposed to look at the church, let's look at the beginning of the church. And we find in that time, at that day, hints to us about what we should be looking forward to. So, in Acts 2... We know what happened. It was the day of Pentecost. Jesus had died and been resurrected. Forty days or fifty days later, he comes with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's poured out on, on these guys that were up in the upper room. They spill out into the, into the uh, streets of Jerusalem, speaking in tongues. First church, tongue speakers. Wow, what happened since then? Is there any first church that speaks in tongues? You know, not really. And I love what Peter says. Man, these guys are not drunk like you think. They must have been acting up. You know? That was the immediate response. These guys are drunk. It's early in the day. These are not drunk. This is that which was spoken of by Joel. Now, here's here's another principle of the Bible. When God begins to speak prophetically, we said you'll find it in the Word. But here's how He does that: He will quote scriptures all over the place, a little bit here and a little bit there. Sometimes He gets a lot, sometimes just a, just a phrase, and He puts it all together. And from this point forward in this sermon, this guy's going to quote Joel, other prophets like Isaiah. Several psalms, four or five. And out of all those places, he brings together a sermon that flows. Is that nuts or what? That's only God can do stuff like that. So he first sets us up with saying, okay, you're going to see the church. We're going to show you what the church is like. 
And he, he gives them a definition of what the church is with a scripture about what the church will be like at the very end. Joel 2, 25 through 28, I think it's the scriptures, or 25 through 30, whatever. The end of Joel 2 is a phrase, is a whole section about what's going to, the church is going to be like when Jesus comes back. So he's talking about you, your generation. If you truly are the end time generation, he is pointing to the way you will be. <clears throat> and the way you will be in that time is there will be all kinds of gifts of the spirit flowing. There will be miracles flowing, wonders. There will be restoration of lives flowing. There will be a huge harvest of souls. We read a few weeks ago, we played you a, a video of a guy who said in 2020 it will begin the great huge end time harvest of a billion souls. All that's in Joel 2. And so Peter is describing to the people of Jerusalem the way the church is going to be forever. And we read in Hebrews, in the time of the second shaking, what you're coming to is the church. That's one of the elements. Look at the church. He keeps going. Look down at verse 25. He says, David, talking about Jesus, David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. And boy, that just nailed it for me. Same word as in Hebrews 12, shaken. And David says, I have set the Lord always before me. He is at my right hand. And so in the time of the second shaking, I will not be shaken. There's my example. That's the one I want to look at to model my life and, and pull from him to see how I should conduct myself in this time of great shaking. All right? Y'all with me? I will not be shaken. And then from here on out, he quotes several psalms that we will bring into this picture that God is trying to paint for us right now. Look over it. Let's just keep reading it. The things that we want to look for. And again, here's how you do it. The Bible has to define the Bible. You look at words or phrases. And you try to find those things elsewhere in the Bible. And when the Holy Spirit quotes one of those and brings it into a picture he's painting, use that scripture. Amen? So here's some of the phrases, phrases that we're going to look at that he pulls in all over the Bible. 25, let's read it again. I, saw, I foresaw the Lord always before my face. For he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. There you go. A rejoicing heart, a tongue that is glad. Moreover, my flesh will rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in Hades or hell, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. That section I just read, leaving my soul in hell, let the Holy One see corruption, is specifically pointing to what had just happened with Jesus. But there's more here than just what had happened to Jesus. Keep reading. Verse 28, For you have made known to me the ways of life, you will make me full of joy in your presence. 
All kinds of phrases in here. We will look for those types of phrases in the scriptures to which we are now being pointed. Now, in this Bible, in your Bible, in my software, there always is parallel things. So where are you getting this from? You will find that most of the things that he just said are quotes. They're quotes from the Old Testament. So for people, you know, for churches not to read the Old Testament, to me it's like, are you serious? The Old Testament is the foundation for all the things that we believe in. These guys believed in it. They brought it in. So what scripture, what's the main scriptures that he is drawing from that refers to the time of shaking? And David. Well, the first one I want to look for is the word shaking itself. But there's other phrases in here that will also play. Look over with me, if you would, to the first one of those that they mentioned is Psalm 21. Psalm 21. Look at the top of Psalm 21. To the chief musician, a psalm of David. So we think that we're seeing that David is our example, not Moses. So you should, you should really pay attention to what David says. Here's what some of the things that David says. The first thing we were looking for is does, does he refer to being shaken? Verse 7. The king trusts in the Lord. And through the mercy of the Most High, he shall not be moved. I have a footnote on that scripture, moved. And that word means shaken. And that's how it was quoted in the New Testament. I will not be shaken. The king trusts in the Lord. And through his mercy, the Most High's mercy, I will not be shaken. Well, there's actually more to it. There's other scriptures in this in this psalm that David that was quoted by Peter at the day of Pentecost. Look up the verse four. This is actually a paragraph. He asked life from you, God. The king did. And you gave it to him. Length of days forever and ever. Now in Peter's deal, did he not quote that you gave him eternal life? There it is. You gave him life. Days forever and ever. That's eternally. His glory is great in your salvation. Honor and majesty you placed upon him. For you have made him most blessed forever. You have made him exceedingly glad with your presence. That was also in Acts 2. You made him exceedingly glad in your presence. For the king trusts in the Lord. And through the mercy of the Most High shall not be moved or shaken. Well, all these scriptures, these verses that we just read, for them to really, to get the full meaning and reason for them, look at what set them up. What teed these scriptures up for David? Why did he write that part? We'll go back to the very beginning of the psalm, and you'll see why he wrote what he just wrote. Verse 1, the king shall have joy in your strength, O Lord, and in your salvation, how greatly shall he rejoice. Look at verse 2. You have given him his heart's desire. 
and have not withheld the request of his lips. For you meet him with the blessings of goodness, and you set a crown of pure, joy, of pure gold upon his head. This is an amazing little section, three verses. Because they set it up for why did David say, in the time of shaking, it ain't going to shake me. Why? Why did he say that? You know, folks, sometimes Satan gets to your life too late. Too late. I remember when I got saved. Let's just, I'll use this as an example. When I got saved in that wonderful, oh, there's our Vegas people. That wonderful, you know, Christian cathedral of Las Vegas. I got saved. I was a heathen of heathens. Dope smoking, name bad stuff. I was a lot of those things. And I got saved because I heard someone speaking in tongues. Like the day of Pentecost. Isn't that weird? Isn't that weird? Okay. So, God changed my life on that day. And right after that, there's my wife. Anybody else? Where's Kyle's not here. Dang it. Within a month, my, my uncle pastor came to me to try to bend my thinking and understanding about the Bible. He was a Church of Christ pastor. Guess what they don't believe? The very things that got me saved. And so that's why I say to you, sometimes the devil gets there too late. He was there to try to convince me of all the things that I had just experienced wasn't true. I tried not to do hand signals anymore. It's really hard. Wow. And I remember thinking, man, you're too late. You got here too late. You ain't changing me now. Okay? So, I'm here to tell you, sometimes the world can present you with some pretty serious jazz to the point where shaking goes on and everyone's freaking out. But it got there too late because God got there right ahead of it and gave you your heart's desire. And when you get your heart's desire, nothing can shake you because you know him. I mean, it's like in you now. Really in you. I wouldn't give it up. Kill me if you have to, but that's staying. You got it? So what made him get to the place where he'd say, I will not be shaken? He gave him his heart's desire. What is that? That's the question, isn't it? What is that? Well, we know he went with a crown, had blessings of goodness. Look with me, if you would, to Proverbs chapter something, 18. You should have known that. Proverbs 18. What is it that got to him like that? Verse 22, 18, 22, says this. He who finds a wife. Oh, the women, we, I told you. <laughs> he, 
He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Is that not you meet him with blessings of goodness? You think it was the thing he wanted the most in life? Who wrote this? Proverbs. Solomon. Look at Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon, chapter 3. Right after Proverbs. Song of Solomon, chapter 3. Verse 11. Go forth, O daughters of Zion, and see King Solomon with what? The crown. With which his mother crowned him on the day of his wedding. That last line. Whew. The day of the gladness of his heart. That's an amazing scripture. He doesn't just say, that was one of the best times of my life. Right? He doesn't say it like that. Yeah, that was great. No, he says, it was the day of the gladness of his heart. The one. If he had to choose one, that's the one. Amen? So, what do we look for in the time of shaking with David, the bride and the bridegroom? The bride and the bridegroom. When we, I think, begin to see what God is really doing with us, man, you know, love will find a way. It doesn't really matter. I mean, you have him before your face. Right in front of you. And the only thing that matters to you is what's right in front of you. It doesn't matter. That's huge power. I'm excited about that part of myself. This is good stuff. Psalm 16. There's another psalm that was being referred to by Peter when he prayed, when he preached that huge sermon. Psalm 16 has a couple more things here that that we need to know concerning the day of shaking and David, our example. Psalm 16, look at the caption, a mictum of David. So once again, he's writing to us for this time. Verse 5, O Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance in my cup. You maintain my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My heart also instructs me in the night seasons. Oh my God, we need that one right now, don't we? All you dreamers. I have set the Lord. Now here we are again. I have set the Lord always before, my, before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken moved. Therefore my heart is glad. My glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. I mean, they quoted this. Peter quoted this, not Jesus. For you will not leave my soul in Sheol or hell, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life. 
In your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. How did he know that? Because he set the Lord continuously before his face and set him at his own right hand. So there's something about this scripture here that I want to ask you. I want to to give you a test right now. I want you to think about this seriously. This is before us. Folks, times of shaking are coming. I don't know how that was supposed to look. But when he says, I want to shake the heaven and the earth, he ain't shaking a mountain. He's shaking the heaven and the earth. That's some serious stuff. Okay? What's he going to do to you? I will give you a couple of questions to think about because there are people who have a promise that they won't be shaken. I want to be one of those. I don't know about you. But that's my goal. And I know that in my personal life, and I, I, will, I will testify to this truth, God always does stuff to me so I can preach it to you. I mean, so it's not really about me, the crap that goes on, pardon me, <laughs> in my life. <laughs> sort of let that one out, God. Sorry about that. Uh, it's really for you. So I can preach to you. Because you are... His portion. He wants you to know this stuff. I'm at the end of my life, give or take 30 years. Amen. But I've lived a lot of the years, so most of my stuff's done. I mean, really, it is. I I, I know the Lord has already looked at an inventory of my life and said, that was good. You could cash in right now. You know, I could have cashed in three years ago. I really could have. I had a real debate with God about that and told him I would rather stay and finish this thing. Well, now he immediately led me into the bride and the bridegroom saga. Immediately. And to being a friend of the bride group. And now to this. I think the course finishes with him coming back. And that's all great stuff. You know, I like that stuff. I don't like the fear the trembling, stuff rattling like crazy. Things are hitting me between the eyes, literally. I don't like that part, but I'm willing to go there. I've, I've already signed up, so y'all, you know, you ought to hear what I'm trying to say to you. It's not about me. I can check it out. It's about you. I'm going to give you a few tests. Okay? Here's a few tests. Look at verse 8. I want to, Verse 5. I want to ask you this question. Just shut your eyes. Our example says this about himself. Now, I'm not asking you to be proud or boasters or anything like that. I'm asking you to be honest with yourself. Really brutally honest with yourself. David said this about himself. He said, Lord, you are my portion. My question is that true for you? Is he? Once again, it's like we talked about the bridegroom's the, the day of the gladness of his heart was his wedding day. The day? There's just one. Is the Lord the portion? 
loves your mom? Or do you have others? And only you can answer that question. And nobody can answer it for you. Your wife can't, your husband can't, your kids. That's you. That's when you and God. That's the first question. And let me tell you this much. If you, if you can't answer that with a yes, don't get down. Begin to change. You've got time to change this. Next question. Verse says this. I have set the Lord always before me. Now, this question is a little different. It's not, have you done this yet? Because I don't think any of us yet have. My question is, will you? Will you set the Lord always before you? That's a great question. Those two questions will have huge ramifications as to what, how you relate and how you react to what's going to happen to this earth. Amen. Amen. Okay? They're, they're big questions. I will say this about it. God has approached me back in August, maybe July. July. That door is open. He showed that door to me. Let me go there. There is a place by God. You can go there. It's amazing. All your emotions and fears and thoughts and opinions, they're not, they don't go away, but they have no power over you. I like that. I can really do his will and feel okay. That's awesome. And move. So, I'm laying it before you. Now, this brings up the last question I have for today, at least, is why do we need David? Turn with me to 1 Samuel 17. Why do we need David at the end-time generation? What witness does he bring to us? What example, what experience in life does he bring that we need? First Samuel 17. Look at the caption above 17. David and Goliath. Wow. Kind of says it all, doesn't it? In the days of giants, we need Davids. And what I'm seeing right now is the giant that we are facing, right, Connie, is fear. Fear is the giant. Or I can say it another way. When there is a giant, fear is there as well. So I don't know how you divide that, but I, I just know they go together. Fear is the giant. So let's just read it. Starting in verse, uh, we'll go down to verse 8 for time's sake. We know what happened. I mean, here comes Goliath. He's freaking everybody out. They're all, the Philistines are on one side. The Jews are on the other side facing each other. And Goliath comes out there and basically tells everyone, you know, you send out one guy. Verse 8. Then he stood, Goliath, and cried out to the armies of Israel. And he said to them, why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And you, the servants of Saul? 
Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. One-on-one will settle the entire thing. Nobody else has to die. One-on-one. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. Watch God's bold. But if I prevail against him and kill him, so there's no other way out, someone's dying, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine says, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, look at the reaction. They were dismayed and greatly afraid. Well, Moses was that way when he saw the mountain. Greatly fear and trembling. Same exact reaction. So why do we need a David? Because in the time at the end, when the, Jesus himself said when he, when he comes back, there will be such fear upon the earth, people's hearts will fail them. People will drop dead from just sheer fear because of what they see coming. That's amazing. That your heart would just seize up and you just die from fear. So in a time of great fear, and I think God has let me kind of taste it a little bit, just so I'll know that's an issue. We need a generation that has the testimony of a David who says, I can handle this guy. I fought a lion. I fought a bear. In the name of the Lord, just with a slingshot, I can take this guy. In other words, they've been trained by God to take on things that are impossible. And it's so bad that even the greatest of that generation couldn't even get off the ground. They were so afraid. And the one that's supposed to be their champion, which is the king in those days, he was hiding. So we need to transition from leadership and and soldiers who are afraid of what is really the biggest shot the enemy has that can rise up like David says, where is he? Who is this that defies the armies of the living God? It ain't about me. It's about God. Bring him out here. We need Davids. We need Joshua's, Caleb's, people who take on giants. And I'm just telling you, older generation, the raw generation, you're that generation that was supposed to take this on. So I was glad when I heard it, Connie and all these other you face fear. Because that is the giant. And we need testimonies. We got this. Amen? It's coming. So, <laughs> all this was kind of coming at me. And Janine gives me this text or email or something and says, Well, hey, I got a word for the for this coming year. It's called courage. Oh, whoa, whoa. Great timing there. So we begin to text back and forth. She had a little bit, I'd have a little bit. We go back and forth, back and forth. You heard that last Sunday. Because this is real. And she finally said this way. You know, I was meditating on this the whole time. <coughs> well, she was. It took me a minute to finally click with her. Like, whoa, courage. Because I was focusing on fear. You know, and I was like, oh, wow, dude. Courage. Uh, and we began to add to it and, and for several days. 
And I kept hearing this song in the background. I'll tell, tell you about it here in a minute after this is all over. But I kept hearing this song. And then she texted me, why? What do we get for doing this? Why should we have to face this? And this is one of those prophetic things that pops out of your mouth or through your fingers if you got text or email. And I said, it's, this is our reward. We get the reward of facing this monstrous giant. Our reward is the perfect love of God, which will clothe the bride and be her ornaments on her wedding day. Boom! Never saw it coming. Just popped it out there. And then I get, we get all this stuff about our example. It's not Moses. It's David. The type of the bridegroom. Then she sent me this video. Are you ready with that, Michael? YouTube? Pop this thing. I just want you to listen to this. You can get it as loud as you think you should. But uh, this guy, give me 11 minutes and 42 seconds. That's all I ask. I thought, this is ridiculous. This is good. I'm sure you know this, but the most often repeated command in scriptures, do not fear. It's obviously not by accident. It's a very... um, specific thing that God addressed because he knew what our greatest weakness would be. He knew the greatest point of failure or the greatest point of turning from opportunity, uh, the very thing that would keep us from the lifestyle of courage he designed for us. When I was sitting here, I was just reminded of something about the Lord. You know, we love him because he first loved us, right? But think what that means is that when he does something towards us, he is giving us the opportunity to mirror back to him what he's done towards us. So the zeal with which he loves us becomes our zeal with which we love him. I I remember when I was just, I don't know, maybe 18, I remember hearing this prophetic word, and I still remember the word to this day. And it was, if you long for me, like I long for you, you will be satisfied. If you long for me like I long for you. And there's this there's this crazy thing in the kingdom where we get to mirror back. We it's not uh, it's not copy, it's responding to because we have fully received. And when I fully receive something, I have the capacity to mirror back to the same measure and degree that he's loved me. Perfect love casts out what? Fear. great verse Jude that talks about keep yourself in the love of God it says he'll keep you from falling but then it says keep yourself in the love of God there's this responsibility so here's what we're going to do we're going to pray I've got this verse that um, uh, I was looking at earlier it says you will be far from oppression for you shall not fear You will be far from oppression. Why? Because you won't fear.
it's not being far from oppression that helps you not to fear. It's not fear that helps you not to be oppressed. I could preach if you just keep staring at me. <laughs> I, I, I just feel like we're just supposed to be just, you know, um, they're just like off a duck's back, just the opportunities to fear. Because we, we become so locked into the love of God for us. We become so convinced of His goodness. You know, the only time I become afraid is when I lose sight of Him. You know, if I start evaluating me, that's a good reason to become afraid. But when, I, when I'm locked into His love, it just doesn't work that way. It's just like, it's like every attempt of the enemy is just not impressive. How about we pray for that holy, scary, bold courage? The, the kind that would make you nervous if you knew it was coming. The, the, the bold, crazy courage to just simply not fear. Not fear. There's this verse in Philippians I should read this too since, uh, since I have the mic. phrase here, this verse. He said, you're not in any way terrified by your adversary, which is to them proof of their destruction. So every time I go, no to fear, the enemy goes, oh. He's not just disappointed I didn't fear. He is reminded he is doomed. <laughs> so how about we just pray that this infectious courage comes out of encounters with his love. So I want you to just grab a hand. We're just going to pray for each other. You can put a hand on the shoulder, however you want to do it. Just make some kind of gooey connection with the people around you. And uh, if you've been standing there all night and you don't know who they are, that's your fault. That's uh, You should have that done by now. How about we just pray? First of all, God, overwhelm them with your love. Secondly, let their response be with extraordinary courage, unusual courage, supernatural, not the kind we can stir up, supernatural courage. Let's see this fear thing defeated in the prophetic. Let's see it happen. Lift your voices. Let's pray.
need to lift up another shout of praise. can't hit the high note there, but I'm kind of thinking, your love is amazing. for you is that you would experience the love of God so deeply that your cheeks would hurt by the end of the evening. That you would need to frown just to kind of exercise the other muscles. That's awesome. Thanks guys so much. Well, what y'all think? Wow. <laughs> that was at the end of it all, you know, for me. Uh, and all this stuff had come to me. And, and then she said that. It was like the cherry on the top. I told you that, you know, all through those several days, I was just meditating. What does this all mean? I kept hearing this song in the background. You know, I just kept humming it. It was that song. Breakfast Love. And so, again, why do we have to face this monster? What's our victory? Reckless Love. That's perfect. That perfects the bride. That perfects the bride. There's no spot, no wrinkle, no blemish, no fear. She is the mirror of her groom. 
They can walk together. So, you ought to consider what's going on around here. I said, I started this thing off with that scripture, though. All the things ever written are focusing on this one time. They are. And I tell you what, people, honestly, the focus in this particular church has been like a magnifying glass, intensely going at it from all kinds of angles, from various people. It's time to be serious. Amen? Probably gets to you. That was Bill Johnson, Prayer for, uh, for Courage. You should look at it again. Amen. God bless.